0: Cool,
1: follow me. Uh, We'll go down this way.
0: Following an expert cyclist, someone who has done more cycling than I over
1: my entire (laughs) life.
0: Hello, I'm Liv Bolton and you're listening to The Outdoors Fix a podcast to inspire people wanting to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of their lives. Welcome to episode two of the new series. Firstly, thank you for all of your lovely comments and feedback on the first episode with Iona Rendell. Wonderful to have your support. And I'm so thrilled that Iona's story really resonated and inspired some of you to get outdoors. Please keep sending me your comments on Instagram And let me know where you've listened to the podcast, I'd love to know. And if you can rate, review and subscribe to The Outdoors Fix wherever you get your podcast, that would be fantastic. I do this podcast as something alongside work at the moment and so the support makes it all feel worth it. Today's guest is Josh Day. Josh used to work in London as a data scientist, but a few years ago, he decided he needed a change of direction and he went on a big outdoors adventure. It took him away from home for two years, and he's only recently come back to the UK. His adventure? Josh cycled all the way from his parents' home in Somerset to Beijing in China. I went to Somerset to see Josh for the podcast, and he kind of got back on his bike for me, and we cycled to a reservoir to record it. I wanted to hear more about his extraordinary journey, why he feels most comfortable outdoors, and how the adventure has impacted his life now. You'll find Josh Day on Instagram at cyclingfordays. I really hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget to listen out for the tips from Josh about how to plan a big outdoors adventure, as well as the sounds of nature at the end of the podcast. I absolutely love this week's sound. Josh. Hello. Hi. Hello. This is so great to be with you. We, I think people will be able to hear. We're sat by a reservoir. It's called Cheddar Reservoir in Somerset.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, where are we exactly in Somerset?
1: Uh, well, near Cheddar. <laughs> and Axebridge uh, is just round the corner there. That's where I'm from, at the foot of the Mendip Hills. Ah. Cheddar Cheddar Gorge and all that is just down the road. It's
0: really beautiful here. We've got it's a massive reservoir. There's geese on it. Um, we're sat right by the water, uh, which is very calming, and it's um, it's a great little spot. And we've actually cycled here from your house. We have. Um, and I thought that, considering we're going to talk about a lot about cycling, might be quite pertinent. Yeah,
1: I found a bike that works.
0: <laughs> not the bike, unfortunately. Not Julia, your bike from no, your big epic trip.
1: Unfortunately, not. Yeah, um, she. Uh, Heathrow baggage handlers, put pay to her. Yeah, she's um, in need of some repair oh, and some TLC.
0: All that time when it was the Heathrow baggage I know, handlers. I know, terrible. <laughs> so you've just been on this epic trip from mm-hmm. Bristol to Beijing, a cycle. So how long had the whole cycle taken you?
1: About two years, bang on. So I left 15th of May 2017 from my front door and arrived in Tiananmen Square in Beijing on the 17th of May. 2019.
0: Give me a few stats of that, so h- how many kilometres or miles?
1: Kilometres are just under 26,000. Blimey. 28 countries, highest temperature was about 42 degrees, lowest that I was outdoors in was minus 27. Oh my god. Um, countless punctures, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah.
0: Oh, well, I want to come onto the, the highs and lows, definitely, yeah, yeah, as yeah. part of the trip right first of all though let's go back a little bit mm-hmm. were you outdoorsy as a kid and and did you cycle much
1: yeah yeah so I couldn't drive for a long time and I still can't so uh bike has always been my way of getting about and being here in Somerset it's lovely but the public transport is terrible so I had to cycle everywhere um cycled to school Cycled to you know whoever friends family um always been outdoorsy my dad is particularly outdoorsy he's taking us camping and on hiking trips for longer than I care to remember. I've been dragged up countless Munros and hills (laughs) and all that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, outdoors is kind of like part and parcel of of me, really. OK, then I moved to London, which is a bit of a problem if you're outdoors. Yeah, I think well, for me anyway. So I spent a lot of time just trying to get to the nice parts of the UK, so the lakes or down to the South Downs, or back here, or to Wales, or wherever, uh, and just kind of trying to fill that um, thirst for being outdoors. Mm. And after about three years, I thought, well, London's not quite cutting it, so I'm going to cycle to Beijing <laughs> instead.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's go. Let's go a little bit back. So you were living in London. What were you doing in London?
1: So I was working as a data scientist okay. for a consultancy there. And yeah. So office job yeah I mean I enjoyed it yeah I I can't say I hated it it was really really interesting we did a lot of work for um, government and UK National Rail before that I was in Birmingham I studied physics there Mm -hmm. and then yeah I was in London working all very normal yeah had a girlfriend was saving up for a house and all that kind of yeah normal life there
0: okay so what was the spark that made you thought London life perhaps wasn't wasn't for me
1: Um, I just, I'd done a a few sort of small bike trips in and around Europe. So I'd I'd gone on like little one or two week trips and I just loved it. And I guess we could call it a mid twenties fear of commitment perhaps, but I was just worried that uh, things are getting a bit settled here. I need to do something while I still can. and I, I spoke to work and they said, okay, take a year, do something, do your okay. trip. Uh, and then if you want, you can come back. So that was really nice. That was, was a nice... sabbatical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which unfortunately I didn't go back to. But anyway, um, yeah. that was, so that was really nice of them. And it was, it was one of those times where it was like, all the things came together and it was, why shouldn't I do it? rather than why should I do it. I mean, yeah. The reasons to do it were obvious and then I couldn't think of a good reason not to, to do this cycle. So I, I kind of got a big map out and thought, okay, if I want to cycle, where's the furthest I can go from my front door, basically, yeah. without having to fly anywhere. And I decided that was Beijing and that was it really.
0: Oh my goodness. Tell me about how you picked the bike that you were going to take with you and and how was was Julia, the bike's name, how was she um, packed so that you could take, yeah, how much stuff did you have with you? Oh,
1: far too much stuff. (laughs) Oh, it seemed it at the time. Um, So, the bike, I picked it up three days before I left.
0: Right, okay. So, I set a date a long time yes, out yeah, yeah <laughs>
1: um and i was doing a bit of research and it kind of got to within two weeks and i thought oh i don't have a bike yet i need to get that if i'm cycling um so i went down to this company in bridgewater in somerset thorn bikes and they were great they were like so obviously knew what they were doing there was a guy with a massive beard who was like telling me how he was cycling through the andes and australia and that and i thought okay perfect yeah, yeah. Um, He knows his stuff. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So I I bought a bike from Thorn, and um, in terms of the rest of the kit, I just kind of cobbled it together from things I already had. Um, I think I bought a new tent and a new down jacket, which I was very pleased with. And that was about it, really. The rest was just because I've been outdoorsy. I had camping gear and spares for my bike, so just kind of picked up. I I can't remember. I think in my mind anyway it was all just cobbled together at the last minute and i think that's (laughs) quite accurate yeah
0: so you had panniers is that yeah yeah Yeah. yeah.
1: panniers so four four panniers two at the front two at the back and then a handlebar bag at the front tent on the back at the back and then um a roll mat on top of that and that was it yeah pretty compact yeah not a lot of clothes two pairs of boxes that lasted me the whole trip which you probably didn't need to know um and then (laughs) Couple of changes of clothes, wow. some spares, a bit of cooking gear, camping gear. That's it. Yeah.
0: Gosh, talk me through your route then. So you set off obviously from Axbridge in Somerset. Yep. Down, um, yeah, tell me. Down to Dover.
1: Yep. Ferry to France, and then across Europe to Istanbul. Mm-hmm. So through kind of Central Europe, following the Danube River, all the way through um, Austria, Slovakia. Bulgaria, Hungary, all that, all that lot. Down to Turkey, um, through Turkey to Georgia, so east into the Caucasus, in Georgia for two months, and then Azerbaijan, got a boat over the Caspian Sea to Kazakhstan, and then into Central Asia, which is kind of all the Stan countries, so Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, um, through there, and then, I was supposed to go to China,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but i this is how organized I was. I didn't have a Chinese visa when I left the country. Um, and I thought I could pick one up along the way. And every consulate that I went to, they said, oh, you've got to go back to London to apply. Oh, I was like, well, <laughs> see the bike. I can't really do that. Um, so I was big problem, and I couldn't get a visa for China. Um, and then someone told me that if you had a ticket for the World Cup in Russia, you didn't need a visa. For Russia. Right. So I bought some tickets for the World Cup, <laughs> went up to Russia, uh, left my bike in a city called Novosibirsk in Siberia, took the Trans-Siberian train across to Moscow and then watched all the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, which was yeah, incredible.
0: Quite a treat on top of everything. Yeah, things.
1: exactly. Yeah. It was, I, was, I mean, the cycling was amazing. That was arguably one of the best parts of the whole trip as well. But um, <laughs> got the train back to Novosibirsk and then picked up my bike again then continued down into Mongolia, across Mongolia. And then I still couldn't get this blooming Chinese visa. Uh, so I had to go back up into Russia. Um, and then through Siberia again, unfortunately by that time it was October, November. So I crossed through Siberia in, in October, and November, arrived in Vladivostok at the start of December. Still couldn't get the visa. I <laughs> got a boat to South Korea went across to South Korea and Seoul, spent Christmas in kind of Seoul and then went back home actually because I still couldn't get the blooming visa I and you I had was like... to come back to the UK yeah. to get the visa. It was just... Okay. Which was really annoying actually but yeah. anyway, um, got the visa, took the Trans-Siberian, well hitchhiked a bit through Russia and then took the Trans-Siberian r- Railway back across Russia. Yeah. Back to South Korea, picked up my bike again, got a ferry to China, and then cycled through China to Beijing. Oh, blimey! Yeah, yeah. wow! wow. It's, uh, that, that was my reaction. <laughs> oh, blimey! Yeah.
0: So um, that's quite a route, and I want to talk about some of those places. that yeah, uh, You course. know, you've touched yeah, yeah. on then because some of it looked incredibly brutal, and and others, you know, wonderful. Yeah. Um, Can you talk me through a typical day for you? How far would you be cycling each day? And and were you largely camping or were you? I suppose it would depend on where you were in the the world. Yeah,
1: I was almost always camping unless I was in a city, uh, in which case I would stay in a hostel or hotel. But a typical day, um, wake up at a camp spot, usually wild camping. So just kind of camping wherever I could find a a place. um, led to some interesting stories. but um, So I wake up from camping, strike the tent. 100 kilometres would be my target, okay. so about 60 miles, which probably to anyone on a road bike sounds pitifully low, but on a kind of heavy touring bike, that's actually enough to get a full day's cycling. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes it was more, of course, sometimes it was way less. Uh, so cycle, cycle, cycle stop for elevenses cycle some more stop for lunch cycle have an afternoon nap lovely and then cycle 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 find a place to sleep for the night um set up tent cook dinner on my little stove or make a fire if it was a bit cold um and then go to bed when the sun goes down
0: oh it's quite a yeah it's, it's, it's that, quite isn't
1: very it? simple yeah it's kind of um Actually, the, the times I liked the most was when it was just that simple, and you, you just strip everything back, and it's just lovely, really.
0: Yeah. What do you think were the best places? I mean, I've re- been reading your blogs, and you you do love, you seem to love Georgia. Yeah. And also Kazakhstan. Is that is that right? You...
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. Uh, Georgia, I loved. I mean, it's got everything. It's quite a small country, but um, it's got mountains. It's got kind of tuscan style vineyard areas it's got coast it's got beaches it's got um almost like a kind of rainforesty area it's got kind of semi-desert so it's amazing on that alone and then the people there are fantastic like some of the friendliest i've ever met um amazing food and wine i put on eight kilos in georgia in two months which was pretty pretty good (laughs) yeah when it's like this um so the, the food and wine there were amazing and the people were so to i nearly didn't leave georgia <laughs> really? I that, yeah i was that kind of settled there kazakhstan was good russia was fantastic actually unexpectedly so um, by the time i got to russia i'd spent a lot of time in ex-soviet countries so i would learned russian because it's the second language in all of those um, and that really opened up quite a lot because i mean russian people are notoriously unfriendly but once you scratch the surface a bit and once you um and start talking to them in their own language they can they couldn't do enough for me i mean right. they're amazing so um, how,
0: how long how long did you how did you learn russian
1: um i had a little textbook on my kindle and i would do some revision in my tent um and then i had some audio lessons as well so when i was cycling along i would just practice and learn that way and then just by by speaking to people really yeah
0: fantastic Which is,
1: it was quite unexpected actually, yeah, I, I, I didn't think I would learn another language on this trip.
0: So you said that you were um, in Kazakhstan for quite a few months. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. so you got there, how long had it taken you to get to Kazakhstan by that point? So
1: I arrived in January 2018, um, so that's what, about seven months? Yeah. Um, just over. And yeah, I arrived in winter and um, I had just finished a pretty, brutal stint through Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and I was tired of winter cycling, to be honest. Mm. So um, I thought I'd pause there for a bit and I lived in Kazakhstan in Almaty for three months, teaching English there. Um, amazing city, really good fun. It's at the base of like these 3000 meter mountains, so lots of skiing there. Oh, great. Um, I'd never skied in my life, though. Um, so th- yeah I learned to ski in Kazakhstan, which is a bit niche. Um, and then yeah, just um, stayed there until the winter kind of thawed out and I could continue cycling and then crossed Kazakhstan to go up to Russia.
0: So what what were the absolute highlights for you on your big adventure?
1: Absolute highlights. Um, getting to Vladivostok, having crossed Russia in, in that kind of December, that feeling of euphoria when I got there. I mean, it had just been an awful couple of months. So by the time I actually got there... and and arrived at the coast was amazing. Um, tell, tell
0: us about, so obviously that euphoria from having done it. So tell us why is it, why had it been so hard?
1: Uh, well, so it was Siberia and it's I mean, it already sounds, November. It already sounds um, so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, needless to say, it was really cold. And um, I just kind of the grind of it, really. So I'd had about two months of just solid cycling in the cold weather. Um, You know, every day I was falling off because of the snow and the ice on the roads. So I was kind of battered and bruised. I wasn't sleeping particularly well because, I mean, basically I had a period of nights that it didn't get above minus ten for like a couple of months almost. Um, And that just kind of grinds you, really grinds you down quite quickly when you're not sleeping well. And then you've got to cycle and continue. Um, Everything is cold. Everything takes ages to do. because your hands are so cold, for example, so changing a puncture is just a nightmare. The rim and the wheel might be frozen together, so you have to get out your stove and melt it first before you can even get the thing off. Mm. And then trying to change a tube when it's snowing and it's below zero outside is just brutal on your fingers. So kind of every possible part of the trip just slowed down and became hard, and it just became a complete grind. so to actually get through that was, um, yeah, it was, it was glad I was very glad to get that out of the way.
0: I bet. And, and how had the isolation been during that time? I mean, how did you cope with, um, you know, cycling by yourself for, for, you know, most of the journey?
1: Yeah. Um, most of the time I was, I was fine. I actually enjoy my, my own company probably a little too much, I think. Um, but, so most of the time I'm I'm fine on my own. I have podcasts and you know Russian lessons or whatever to listen to, and, and there's lots of things to see. But in Russia, it, it kind of it really uh, got to me, and I had well, I, I mean, my mental state kind of spiraled downwards quite a lot. There'll be times when I was cycling along and I just um, bore my eyes out basically and sat by the side of the road just sobbing into it, which was unexpected. And not fun, by the way. And um, yeah, I, it just—it's just hard work when you got no one to talk to. It's just all the little things. If it's cold, or um, you just want someone to share the tasks with, someone can build the fire while I'm setting the tent up, or they can cook while I'm and they get my sleeping bag out or something. And just no one to kind of share that with—it's quite draining. Just horrible, really. Actually, yeah. yeah. And I I never had that, I mean, before that, I never had the chance to to practice that. I mean, where in Britain can you go for like a long time just on your own, you can't really. And it's just, even the little conversations with someone um, mean a lot when you're you're spending a long time alone, which is probably why I love the Russians so much because they probably couldn't shut me up. Like by the time I saw someone, I would just chat to them ages here yeah.
0: so what was the longest period you were by yourself during um, that stint
1: probably uh, no more than a, a, a few days perhaps but then again like the people that i met would just be like a shopkeeper or you know someone in a shop so it's not lasting conversation yeah. um so yeah
0: but it sounds incredibly difficult in those temperatures and those yeah i mean it's the yeah. cold that it's quite
1: hard to remember It sat here in the sun like by the river but um it's, it just kind of seeps through everything and just slows you down and slows your brain down as well. That's, that's the other thing, and all your decision making is impaired. And yeah, that's it's not fun.
0: So I can imagine why Vladivostok was pretty pretty. Great yeah, exactly. To yeah, I, I
1: got there and I had a friend there who um, put me up and he, uh, I stayed with him and um, had a shower and a warm bath and just slept for a few days straight.
0: Yeah, yeah. I bet. wow. What other really hard moments? On the trip. Um, I
1: remember in Kyrgyzstan, I was at the top of a pass, and it was um, about 3,000 metres, and it was dark, and um, I was trying to find a place to camp. And I stepped off the side of the road, and the snow came up to like my waist. I was like, okay, probably can't camp there. It um, was coming down the hill, and it was covered in like, snow and ice. So I was sliding down, and I was just getting colder and colder and colder. I didn't really know what to do, because I was just in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I couldn't camp anywhere, couldn't go back cause it was, you know, p- high mountain pass and, um, the roads were just terrible. And I just didn't know what to do. And, uh, that was quite, quite tough. And then I was really fortunate that just out in the middle of nowhere, there was just this cafe by the side of the road. Um, and I kind of arrived there and it was about eight o'clock at night, about minus 15, minus 20 and night. Um, and they looked at me, and I looked at them, and we were about as shocked as each other to see each other. They came in, they invited me in, gave me a cup of tea, and then I just kind of sat down by the fire and fell asleep. Oh gosh, um, that must
0: have been a relief to find that. Yeah, a cup of
1: tea arguably saved my life. Oh Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So Yeah, that was quite tough, I guess.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, would you think that the physical challenge or the mental challenge, which which do you think it was greater for the whole Um, trip?
1: Yeah, probably the mental, actually, because, I mean, cycling, if you're doing it every day, the fitness comes straight away. And I, if there were physical challenges, I just enjoyed them. Like, I, I mean, I really liked just the sensation of cycling. So if there is a hard climb or um, a twisty descent or whatever to do, then actually, I just, it's quite, quite nice in a way. Because um, it's, it's, it's doable and it's just fun sort of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, but the mental side of things is much more, I guess I didn't know, I didn't have a way of dealing with that before the trip or I'd never had anything like that before. I mean, I'd done hard cycles before, but I'd never put myself through those situations um, mentally. So, um, yeah, definitely the mental side of things. Mm. Not that there weren't physical challenges. I mean... Cycling, I think the highest I cycled was four and a half thousand meters. Wow, um, which when you get that high, the air is really thin. And
0: that's Tajikistan, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah
1: that was in the Pamirs, yeah. Um, and that's that's in weird actually. I'd I never done anything at altitude, and um, I don't know if you have, but um, it's which like
0: you feel very breathless, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It's just bizarre, it's kind of strange. So I, I enjoyed that, but that was pretty tough, yeah. yeah.
0: When you're cycling, apart from the really Difficult moments, obviously, in Russia and Siberia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how did you generally feel? Did you did you feel like a different person? What what was the the general sense of Josh on his trip Ooh. compared to Josh at home?
1: That's a good point. Uh, I think I generally I felt all right. I mean, actually, I mean it's just quite exciting because lots of different. You go to all these different countries. You meeting all these different people. Going through all these different landscapes, so for the most part, it was just really, really, really interesting, and um, and yeah, I mean, I, I remember most of it with fondness, to be honest. Um, I mean, I did start talking to myself after a while because <laughs> I was just cycling uh, on my own for that long. That's fine. I think everyone does that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, now I think Josh, the person, I met someone in Georgia and. Uh, they, they said, oh, I've, I've met some other people doing trips similar to yours and you seem quite normal compared to them. So um, that's kind of a good compliment, I think, okay. yeah.
0: And you had a lot of kindness from locals you've, you've written about in your yeah. blogs. Tell me about some of those
1: instances. Um I mean, so many, I couldn't possibly name them all. Um, just so many unexpected times. For example, in, in Russia, I was um, cycling along, there was just these guys working on the road at the side of the road. Um, and they were, they just stopped me and asked me what I was doing and then invited me, they had a little mini bus and were having lunch in there. So they gave me like this warm meal, which was amazing when it we were in winter. And then I told them where they were going, where I was going and they said, I'll oh, just, don't stay in a hotel, just uh, come and stay with us. So there was like nine blokes crammed into a three bedroom <laughs> flat, um, but no, they were amazing. And I just couldn't really believe it because, um, you imagine cycling along Britain and some road workers kind of stopping you and inviting you into your house? It's a slightly
0: like different image, yeah, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is a bit.
1: Um, but, I mean, so many people like that. Um, Russians were amazing. By the time I got to Vladivostok, I probably could have stayed in, like, six or seven different places because people I'd met along the way would say, oh, I have a, your uncle in Vladivostok or, um, like, yeah. a cousin or a friend. Um, I mean, so many times that people invited inviting me in to just either stay the night or just give me a bit of food or wine or vodka or you know, a pat on the back, whatever. Yeah, I, I just, so unexpected. And it's one thing I love about being home in Britain is just kind of you realise how great that is. Cause I, you know, I saw a couple of touring cyclists the other day cycling through and um, you know, I went and I had a chat with them and um, that was fine. And they cycled off and then I was just thinking, no, hold on. In those other countries, I wouldn't just have a chat with them, I'd invited them in and, you know, give them a meal and let me stay for like three days or whatever. So, yeah.
0: Must have been great morale boosters. All It is, and it? it
1: puts your f- faith back in humanity a little bit, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, you obviously had days and days and days on the bike, and uh, you finally made it to China.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, tell, me, tell me, what was the last few weeks in China like before you finished, and, and how was China?
1: China was great. Um, China was so different to anywhere else I'd been, which I just loved. I mean, I couldn't read a thing, couldn't communicate. I'd got quite set in my ways in kind of Russia because I I knew the area quite well and I knew the language. So it was great to be back in a country where I just didn't understand anything again. Um, The the last few weeks were kind of strange. Well, uh, China, I started off following the North Korean border Wow. So I followed the. China shares a border with North Korea. Yeah. So I followed that from one end to the other, which was. Um, Gosh, so great you, were, fun. you
0: were peering over into North yeah, Korea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was uh, that like?
1: Um, it was surreal, really, because I would look over and see like a railway station, and above the railway station, there'd be the portraits of you know Kim Jong il and um, yeah. Kim Il sung. And um, just the contrast with China, there would be a city on one side and a town in North Korea on the other side and at night the Chinese city would be lit up, you know, like a, with so many lights and then on the North Korean side just complete darkness, wow. you know, um, so that, that was cool and then, um, yeah, I camped a couple of times, I camped in no man's land between China and North Korea which was, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, was, that, that was allowed, I suppose, was it? Well, uh, they didn't, they didn't know I was there, Okay. Um, although North Korean I think knew that I was there because opposite me they got this flashlight and started um I don't know showing their light at me but anyway um so that was quite good fun and then I looped back around in China and then by the time I was on the home straight to Beijing I was just I was was quite relieved actually to um to be on the home straight and lots of little things started to annoy me like trying to find a place to sleep I'm just gonna be so happy when I know where I'm gonna be sleeping Mm. each night and uh just cooking food and stuff. So I was quite happy to finish, mm. I think, relieved, yeah.
0: So where was the final stretch? Where where did you finally get off that bike and say, right, I'm done?
1: Beijing. Tiananmen, where, where? Tiananmen Square. Oh, in Tiananmen yeah, Square. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I cycled into Beijing on, on one day and went to the square, cut off, tried to take a picture of the portrait of Mao. Got told off by a policeman. <laughs> I thought, right, okay, that's that's it. That's me done. Yeah. Gosh,
0: how did you feel?
1: I'm fantastic, relieved. I think was the overwhelming thing. And um, I think by that t- point, I'd done a lot of things on the bike. I'd crossed deserts and mountains and and all that. And I, f- you know, f- through Siberia and that. And I felt like I didn't have anything more to prove. So I was. I was just happy to uh to get to Beijing and say okay that's that's that done, and now I can do all the other things that I've been thinking about the last few months because you have all this time alone, so you get all these plans and ideas of what you want to do in the future so I was quite excited to to be able to do that actually
0: so you came back to you had a you had a couple of months still in Asia after Beijing,
1: yeah, I had to work to get a plane for a home
0: yeah. yeah, and then you came back in September to the u k mm-hmm. and um have you been on a bike apart from today where I have made you cycle around a reservoir? Yeah. <laughs> have you been back on a bike? The
1: only other time was when I gave a talk um, in Cheddar the other week and I had to cycle my bike over to the talk, but that's the only time. Yeah. I've been very happy to not be on a bike. Yeah. So I've just been running up in the hills.
0: Okay. Are you, nice. do, you think, do you think you're done with cycling adventures?
1: For now, but it's amazing how quickly you forget these things and uh, how selective your memory can be about yeah. how, how hard things are right now I'm very happy not to be on the bike yeah. but even then like last night I was thinking oh, I'd like to give the transcontinental a go or like oh, right. there's a race around Kyrgyzstan that I'd like to do called the Sugrid mountain race and yeah little things like that so I'm sure it'll only be a matter of time before I'm back on it
0: so your life is very different from from doing data analysis in London, yeah. and so and you've you've just done this massive adventure. Do you think that you're going to continue to pursue a life of adventures, or do you think that you might go back to London or back to a city?
1: Um, I can't say for certainty now, but I f- will probably go back to something. It's weird, I guess you always crave what you don't have, and by the end in China, I was really craving some normality. I just wanted a, a job and a girlfriend and a house, and that would be fine. Um, and I'm still at that that kind of stage at the moment where I just I kind of want to be in one place for a while. Um, but the adventurous adventures won't stop. Um, I think what I see myself as being in one place and then doing kind of one or two month trips, um, just to to wherever, which will be enough to kind of keep me satisfied, while also being in one place for a while. So probably um, Bristol, it's like my closest city, not London, I've grown tired of London. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: The outdoors then, being outdoors for so many days, mm-hmm. do you, how, how does the outdoors make you feel?
1: Oh, I love it. I feel at home there, yeah. I've, I slept in a tent the other night, and it was one of the best nights of sleep I've had in, in weeks since being back. Yeah, just in just, your garden? <laughs> <laughs> just up the hill, actually, yeah. yeah. I just needed to get out, really. Um, now I, I I feel very calm in the outdoors, and very at home, and I usually turn off all my de- devices and everything and just feel very um, much more, it's going sound a bit pretentious, but much more present kind of in the moment really um and time slows down a bit which I love like especially when you're just outdoors you have the time just to kind of stare at a tree for a while or watch a rabbit or I don't know some birds or whatever which you don't usually get when you're not outdoors so yeah I, I love it I, I will be outdoors for the rest of my life
0: Josh, who who are the
1: three people that inspired your adventures? Uh, three people, well, first I'd have to say my dad, a bit cliche, but um, he was always, throughout my whole life, getting us out and about. I mean, he's done all the Monroes. Wow. Forever being taken on trips to Scotland, or like France, or North Wales, or whatever. And so many of the skills and outdoors, Experience that I have kind of taken for granted just because I've spent so much time out and about with dad. Um, so, from like the earliest of age, him definitely. Um, a chap called Alistair Humphreys.
0: Alastair Humphreys. You may have heard of we might um, just have heard of that. Yeah,
1: well. he cycled way further and longer and more impressively um, a few years ago. He went around the world in four years and spoke, I've seen talk a couple of times he speaks extensively about it and i really loved his um micro adventure series that was basically just getting people outdoors in their normal lives um to do whatever a a one or two day adventure and i took quite a lot of them to heart when i was living in london i would um get the train out to like box hill or something on a work night and just sleep up there and then go back in the next day or um and they go on i once met friend in the Malverns just got the train up Friday night and we bivied on top of the Great Malvern just um for a night um so he is a big inspiration just for getting me out and about in London and then of course the cycling side of things um yeah to do an owl was the way we described it in my group of friends (laughs) to, to go on a big cycle and then the third one um a guy called George who I met In Russia, he was also cycling. He's an American chap who lives in Seoul, in South Korea. And he and I cycled together for about two weeks in Russia and into Mongolia. And he's just the most chilled person I've ever met in my life. Um, He really just, nothing bothers him, anything could happen, and he'd just roll with it endlessly like curious and friendly and then he invited me to stay with him when i got to seoul in korea Um, and i arrived and i was sleeping and he has like a one bed like apartment and he just rolls his mat out on the floor every night to go to sleep and a lot of people kind of preach this kind of minimalist and um outdoorsy lifestyle Um, but he actually lives it um, day to day and I asked him what the Wi-Fi password was in his house and he said, oh, I don't know about Wi-Fi. And he, he, he just doesn't have any of that. And um, he's learnt Korean and Spanish. He does like public speaking in Korean. He um, has like four months of holiday a year, so just go, goes on bike tours all around the world, most recently Ethiopia. That's awesome. Um, so he's just one of these people who you meet and you just can't not be inspired by him, yeah.
0: I imagine he's not on Instagram, is he? No, he's not on <laughs> Instagram. He's uh Good on him.
1: He has a little blog that he writes called Intrepid Global Citizen. Oh. Um but yeah, just just a really nice guy. Oh, and he gets up and does like two hours meditation every morning. So yeah.
0: Gosh, that is someone to to be inspired by, yeah, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> who wants to do a big, epic cycle mm-hmm. like you. Um, what are some of your tips for that?
1: Um, well, first and foremost, cycling is one of the best ways to do a, a long trip because it is just so simple. Uh, you can just strap a couple of bags to the to your bike. I mean, I've seen people cycling on like 100 quid bikes, you know, across countries. You might get a few more um, problems, but if you can fix them on the way, then, then it's fine. Um, in terms of epic gen uh, epic trips in general and um, I guess plan enough that you are confident in what will come up I mean for me because I said I'm quite ignorant and naive I felt like I didn't need to do any planning at all um, but that doesn't work for everyone and um, so some people that I met who've done long trips for example I met a guy walking across Asia and he planned out every day and what he was going to do and where he's going to get the food and that's fine if that works for you then um, then do what you got to do to make yourself feel confident enough that you can do it Um, in terms of money um, I think these things can be a lot cheaper than people expect so I cycled to Beijing it was two years and my total spend was less than ten thousand pounds which for two years is is pretty good actually me. Um, and if you're, if you're wild camping and you're just cooking your own food then it's then it's pretty cheap
0: mm. in terms of navigation then you relies obviously on paper maps and your phone yeah, yeah. so
1: um, I had a series of I bought a Europe road atlas and tore out a few pages for that and then bought a couple of um, I think one to eight 1 to 800,000. No, maybe maybe what one, 1 to 3 million scale maps of like Asia um, that did me quite well for there and then phone if I needed but I try not try not to use my phone.
0: Any other tips?
1: I think for me my biggest problem is just getting out there and doing get it, like starting things. Um most things you can figure out along the way I would say. Unless is in the world you can either find an internet somewhere or you can find a shop or a friendly local so if you're if you have a little bit of doubt just go for it and i'm sure it'll work out in the end
0: oh josh it's been really great to hear about that absolutely epic cycle and two years and i really wish you all the best for all your future adventures
1: thank you it's been a pleasure talking to
0: you good and i think we're gonna probably cycle back to your house now absolutely. away from this beautiful reservoir it's still sunny and um, it's been, a, yeah, it's been brilliant being by the water and chatting. So thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Josh's story. It was quite an impressive adventure, wasn't it? You can find lots of photos and more info about Josh's journey on theoutdoorsfix.com or on Instagram at theoutdoorsfix. Now, time for some sounds from nature and an opportunity to relax. Also, I wanted to add this week that the National Trust recently released research that found when people listened to birdsong or the rustling of leaves for only a minute, they felt 25% less stressed and 30% more relaxed than before. How good is that in just one minute? So here's your chance to chill. This week it's the sound of parakeets on a rainy day in Hampstead Heath in London.